Hi friend, this is Alex McRobbs, founder of The Mindful Life Practice, and you're listening to the Sober Yoga Girl podcast. I'm a Canadian who moved across the world to the Middle East at age 23, and I never went back. I got sober in 2019, and I now live full-time in Bali, Indonesia. I've made it my mission to help other women around the world stop drinking, start yoga, and change their lives through my online Sober Girls Yoga community. You're not alone, and a sober life can be fun and fulfilling. Let me show you how. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Sober Yoga Girl. I'm really excited to be sitting with Jason Rudin this morning. And Jason is the co-host of The Way Out podcast. And he is one of the hosts of Recovery Revolution Live. And we connected, I think, over a year ago because I had one of the hosts on the way out podcast on sober yoga girl podcast. And I was on the way out podcast. It was over a year ago and we were connecting and emailing to schedule an interview and we finally got it organized. So it's amazing to finally meet you, Jason and welcome to the show. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And you know, no worries. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's God's timing, not ours. You know what I mean? It's supposed to happen when it's supposed to happen. So yeah, but definitely a pleasure to meet you as well. Absolutely. So I was wondering if you could start us off by telling us a little bit about your journey before sobriety. Okay. Um, Well, I mean, I grew up in a single mother household and my mom, when I was really young, she had like the worst head injury in the history of the state of Minnesota at the time. And uh, she was in a coma for months and in hospital for months after that and i had to live with some family but when i was uh at one of those placements with uh some family i ended up getting molested by my cousin who was 16 i was five wow Uh, yeah he he molested me like for months and then i finally i got away from him one day and I went and ran down the dirt road and knocked on somebody's door and told them so. But then my little mind, once I was out of that environment, snapped that shut in a box. I don't know. I never remembered it. I think I did go to therapy at the time, but I just, it was like plate therapy. And I don't think I talked about it at all. I don't remember. I had no recollection of this until I was like 13 when it came back. So, uh, but that was something that affected me my whole life. And uh, other than that, you know, it was just <laughs> kind of, I think, robbed of a, the innocence of childhood, you know, at, when that happened. And then when I was like eight, I my mom had another kid and I took care of him. And then, you know, two years later, she had another kid and my sister. And so then I was taking care of two kids most of the time because my mom was a party animal and until I was so from when I was like eight to 13 taking care of babies and you know being the parental figure a lot of the time at the house so I don't know man once my mom got in trouble enough or whatever and she got on the bandwagon with some recovery stuff probably but nudge from the judge then I capitalized on the opportunity and ran wild I ran wild. I started doing drugs when I was 13. Uh, first time I injected a drug, I was 13. 
I started selling drugs when I was 15, started with like weed mostly and maybe some acid or shrooms. And then by the time I was 16, I was selling cocaine as well, meth and, uh, sometimes even like really strong tranquilizers like special k you know ketamine and and uh the occasional ecstasy or whatever but i mean i was always like that like i I wanted to have corner every market when i was selling drugs i just wanted to be your one-stop shop you know and i never let myself sleep or rest because i would feel like i'm gonna miss out on a bunch of business you know I mean, it it was it was crazy. I would run myself haggard, you know. I would stay up forever. <laughs> so I don't know. And then I had a kid. I got I lost my virginity when I was seventeen, and I had a son when I was eighteen. And then I had a little girl two years after that. And me and their mom split up when I was twenty-one. So they were only three and one, and it was a whole thing. Like, I tried to be a dad and do the family thing, but I was also, you know, struggling with my addictions, and I didn't even know they were addictions probably up until that point when I was trying to control them and having issues controlling my use. Uh, it caused a lot of flat, like issues in the relationship because I was defensive and, you know, I'm not the problem. So I, I don't know, you know, I, that relationship didn't work out and I didn't plan on leaving the kids, just her. And I ended up, you know, not being a part of my kids' lives anymore after that. So we've been estranged uh, ever since. And I did get to see my son, one of the miracles of recovery, which, you know, when I was like two years clean, uh one time got to take him out to a meal and then he wanted to see my house and then i when we went there i was like oh my men's letter is in a frame with like pictures of them when they were babies and we were talking for like an hour before it occurred to me and then i'm like oh i gotta give you this and i opened it and showed it to him and um i just asked him if he'd please show it to his sister too because it's for both of them and I don't know if she ever read it. I haven't gotten to talk to my daughter, but uh, me and him, you know, I have his email address. I send him updates every so often and let him know how things are going with me, a bunch of pictures, you know, new developments with uh, my life. And I, I always try to be very mindful about doing that with no expectation of any return message you know like i just i feel like that's gonna do the most good i don't want to ever bear ill will or or resentment over any of it because i know the world doesn't owe me anything and um i can't imagine what those kids went through not having a dad you know so yeah i just try to do it cheerfully and you know love the fact that i have his email on a way to reach him and and uh you know send him updates and everything like that and i hope i hope that he sees them and i hope that he shows them to his sister and i hope that 
you know, I make all my stuff public. So if either of them ever felt like just even Googling my name, they're going to find tons of content. Uh, I mean, honestly, I think anybody, if they listen to enough of my yammering on the shows and stuff, they probably feel like they know me personally. You know what I mean? Even though, even though they don't. So <laughs> who knows what will happen, but I, tr- I just trust God that if it's his will, it'll happen. And what do I want them to find, right? If they come looking, I want them to find this guy. I want them to find, you know, me with a needle in my arm, you know? So I guess that's kind of pretty much, you know, other than that, like I ran restaurants for like 15 years. So I used to be a kitchen manager at Perkins. And uh, before that I did a lot of construction gigs. Um, always gave up one crutch for another you know either really heavy into the needle and then i'd be like oh man that's getting crazy i gotta quit that so then i'd just be like smoking bud all the day every day and then i'd be like drinking every day you know like i would always give up one crutch for another and if i didn't have a needle hanging on my arm typically i had a lot of false pride and i thought that i was such a good boy you know i always felt like i was doing so good so uh, it's kind of silly when you think about it, but I mean, I didn't know then what I know now. So I can, I can look back at, at a lot of the stuff from my past and kind of laugh and just be like, wow, you're so dramatic or like, wow, look at you. You know, like I was such a, I had such a victim mentality and I was so good at, sh- you know, shoving off any personal responsibility and carrying on as if I'm only hurting myself, not hurting anyone else. (laughs) And I put people through some crazy stuff, man. I've had old friends reach out to me and tell me that, you know, some of one of the most traumatic moments in their life was when they were at my house and watching me plunge the needle into my arm for, you know, days or blackout because I did too much or kind of overdose in front of them. And, I was oblivious to all that stuff. I didn't know that I was scaring people or hurting people or pissing people off or any of that. Nor did I care. <laughs> um, yeah. And so what was, at what point did you get sober? Man, I was, uh, I was 36. Mm-hmm. Well, no, I mean, when I really got clean, when, like when I stopped doing anything i was 36 but i got arrested uh i got set up by one of my best customers this guy used to buy a half ounce of meth for me every other day like clockwork for for like a year i mean i made so much money off of this guy and he must have got pinched and he let he set up a deal with me and he let the uh cops listen in or whatever and I got, I got popped leaving my job. I was working uh, in the kitchen at a, at a bar that had like pool tables and dart, dart leagues and stuff like that in there, uh, kind of near my mother's place. And I, I just like I remember I closed the kitchen that night. I got off uh, and I went, I went out and I get a free beer and I grabbed beer. And then I went out to the table on the patio 
and then I like there's that was like smoking section out there and there's like a little swinging door on the gate out there so you could like go out in the parking lot straight from that area if you wanted to and I went out there and I went up like my dude was parked back there and then a buddy of mine was also parked back there in a different part of the parking lot I went up to the truck to my dude went back to his tailgate I picked up uh two ounces and paid him for the previous ounces or whatever that I had uh, sold. And then I went over to my buddy's car and I threw my backpack in his back seat with the dope. And then I went back into the bar and I slammed my drink and I brought it back up and I said, see you later. And then I, I left. And like when we were leaving, we parted ways going different directions. And I guess we both like my, my dealer's vehicle and the vehicle I was in, we got swarmed, you know, like this was a big ass bus. I think I had like eight or nine squads, uh, you know, surrounded us and stuff. And it was, it was like, it was crazy. I went, I went to jail for a few days and then, the detectives showed up and they just basically signed me out. Like they, they were trying to get me to roll. I told them I wouldn't roll. You know, I told them that I'm not going to leave my son alone in this cruel world, blah, blah, blah. And they were telling me I'm just too nice and too honest to be doing this drug dealing thing or whatever. They were trying to butter me up probably. But then I like, I just was like, no, and then they left, and then like the next day, they I got released, and they signed me out. I couldn't even believe it. I thought for sure I was totally fucked, and then I ended up staying at my house, and I mean, my dude's trying to give me double. He's like, you can make that money back, you know, because I owed him now like two grand almost, and I'm like, nah, man, I can't because if they get me again, then I'm totally screwed. They got me dead to rights. I've never been in trouble like that before, like ever. So I was pretty freaked out. I was looking at, I mean, I was going to court for like a year and a half after that. I was looking at 98 months in prison. Wow. And, and uh, I just was like, whatever. But when I, so I just stayed home and I was like, I'm not picking up no more. And I, uh, ultimately I just exhausted all my resources. You know, I, first it started, I was calling back in money, you know, credit off the streets. I think I had like 2,500 bucks out on credit, you know, from fronting people dope. I got actually all of that except for like 400 bucks paid back to me. So that kept me going for a while. And then I was, uh, selling all the toys that I got on trades and stuff, you know, I had a lot of cool shit from dealing uh, and hooking people up on trades. Uh, once I exhausted all those resources, then I was just kind of acting like an entitled asshole and making people feel guilty. Like they owed me something because all the times that I got them high playing candy, man. And, uh, you know, that worked actually for kept me going for a couple more weeks or whatever. I think the last thing I did was traded my laptop and I said, that's it. I'm not doing no more. And I got like a teener dope or something for this laptop. And I did it all 
in like 10 minutes, like two, two injections, two needles worth. I managed to fit a whole teener in there and I was only going to do one, but I made them so they'd be like way more than I ever would do. Cause I figured I'm never going to get to do this again. And it, something crossed my mind about an ex-girlfriend and I got jealous and angry, like as I was rushing out from the first needle and then I did the other one and I don't know why. And I ended up going into a super crazy, like, I mean, I've been in a lot of psychosis, but this was the worst psychosis I ever was in in my life. And it was terrifying. It broke me down. It broke me down to my core. I mean, I really look back on that. It was like a spiritual experience, man. It was crazy. And I remember I was on the on my knees with a knife to my throat. I was trying to throw my body down on it. I was like wailing like a wild animal, like a dying animal or something, making some weird ass noises. I never made noises like that in my life. And I was yelling, help me, help me help me, help me over and over. But what I meant was like, help me kill myself. And I didn't even know who I was talking to because I didn't really believe in God. And instead I ended up putting down the knife and calling this guy. And I started letting people guide me from that point, man. And I, I started therapy. I did uh parenting classes. I did anger management classes. I was going to probably 10 meetings a week. Uh, I just really applied myself to it, you know, put myself in a program course. And I was doing these things cause I desperately needed help. But, uh, I don't know, man, it ended up opening the door to so much more, you know, like I made so many great connections in the rooms that when I, when I was coming up on sentencing, I had asked if anybody would write character references for me, and I didn't think anybody would. And the judge had 13 letters on my sentencing date in her hand. I didn't know about any of them except for two, and they were so profound and, like, just beautiful, the things that these people said about me. And they were all all written by people that I never expected would have. Like if I had could have told you who I thought would write one for me, these were not them people, you know, shows how uh, good my barometer for, you know, like meaning, meaningful friendship is or whatever, because these people really saw something in me and the, the judges moved to tears. She decided not to send me to prison. She gave me 20 years probation. Wow. Yeah. And it, I've been thankfully uh, really walking that straight and narrow road and working strong recovery program and dedicated to service and I, and, and my spiritual life and all those things, you know, the balance that we must find in life. And it's still the balanced part is a struggle still sometimes, but that because I've been doing those things, it's, <laughs> it hasn't even been an issue, man. I, like, it's not even on the table anymore for me. I don't want to drink. I don't want to get high. You know? Yeah. It's weird. Wow. So yeah. did you, um, when you, during this time, were you part of a um, a 12-step program or, like, what supports did you use? Uh, it's changed uh, over the course of my recovery. Definitely. It started with CMA, which is Crystal Meth Anonymous. Uh, those were the first meetings I went to 
they do their step work out of the big book though so it's just the aa's big book um but i was pretty much right away dove in head first so i was hitting cma na aa and then you know i wanted to learn more right so i've done like mindfulness and 12 steps uh recovery dharma uh I even went to a Y12 SR meeting once, which that's something that I feel led to go back to trying. It's just hard for me because I like I got chronic pain in my back and I have a really hard time with yoga, man. Like it's hard, very mm -hmm. frustrating. Like it's supposed to be a Zen thing, right? And I find it frustrates me doing yoga. It's so I don't know. Maybe I just hit Nick. I haven't applied myself enough, but there was like a few months back where I did yoga like every day for like a week and a half. And I even had my girlfriend and her seven-year-old daughter doing it with me. <laughs> it, was, it was fun <laughs> when I was doing it with them. I will say that I did not get frustrated because I was having fun with them. Like they took my <laughs> mind off. I don't know. I think maybe I'm a perfectionist a little bit or something. So. <laughs> Yeah. And yoga is a pretty intense, um, uh, experience. Like it's a really embodied experience. And I think if there's lots of sort of, uh, physical trauma or emotional stuff or whatever, it can be a, um, it can be an overwhelming experience. So it's, uh, definitely, um, it's definitely normal to feel like either physical pain or frustration or like any sort of series of emotion when you're practicing. Well, that's good. That that makes me feel better. <laughs> Cause I was like, what is wrong with me? This is supposed to be like meditating, right? Like this is supposed to be chill. I'm supposed to be feeling super chill right now. I do not feel chill <laughs> at all. I like it. If anything, it's the opposite. It makes me feel like out of control because my body is like doing all this crazy stuff it's like trembling and uh you know i'm just like what is going on with you body you know what i mean and you try to calm it down and it's just like man but i know people have told me too like because i got like this one lesson that was like super simple right and i can do that one and they're like you need to do that one until it's like effortless mm. you know like effortless before you move on to the second lesson because the second lesson right away is like that's where i'm trembling and then i'm like man <laughs> so you just stay with the yeah stay at the stuff that the beginning level stuff until you master it and you feel comfortable and yeah that's a really good suggestion well the the lady says it in the video lesson <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, well, I want to learn the other stuff. But yeah, I don't know. I'm, so I'm always open-minded, though. And I have been like a sponge since I got into recovery. Like, it's just been nuts. So anytime that uh, I have the opportunity to try something new, uh, I jump on it. And, and there's, I really love it when newcomers are like ah this don't work for me that don't work for me but i'm interested in this and but then i know like what's the next thing you know it's like they're like not gonna want to go because they won't know anybody and i don't even do that thing and i'll be like i'll go with you 
And then they're like, right on, really? Really? And I'm like, yeah, let's go and go check it out. You know, he's like, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. It helps me, helps you, then it's worth it. And I, I like trying new things and meet new people. I ain't shy. I like building that network of sober people. So it's That's amazing. It's so boring. you, um, nowadays you are one of the hosts of the way out podcast you're one of the hosts of recovery revolution live what other ways are you involved in the sober world like how do you um support people or connect with people well god i'm doing so many different things lately especially like this last year has been nuts so i got i got involved with uh, Mobilize Recovery, which is a national initiative to uh, empower people uh, and and educate them about grassroots organizing and uh, like motivational interviewing techniques and how to how to you know share your story and and follow it up with a solid ask and. And it's just, it's an amazing initiative. If you haven't heard of it, you should look into it. It's called Mobilized Recovery. So I've been like part of that. And then I joined Minnesota Rap, which is the Recovery Advocacy Project. Uh, and we're kind of inactive at the time, at this time, but I'm looking forward to being able to work with them in the future on some stuff. Uh, collaborating with all sorts of content creators, recovery, recovery influencers which is crazy like uh i just had a couple meetings with the developers of this new app it's a health and wellness app recovery app called over it and possibly because they're kind of working on a version 2.0 of their app and we've had a couple meetings talking about um just the app in general you know the quality of it uh you know what what do you like? What don't you like? Kind of things, just giving them feedback. But then they're, they're kicking around the idea of adding like a content section where people can access some good recovery resources. And so, uh, if all goes well, uh, both the way out podcast and recovery revolution live will be featured on that app. There's also a, this other app that is pretty new called the sober app. And that's like, they're going, full bore with this their ideas are so massively huge but i'm on the list uh as well with them to uh have our content shared on their platform as well but their theirs is nuts theirs is like they want to have content for every single pathway of recovery like a ton of it so like anybody who's wants to dabble with this and dabble with that and like try a pinch of this and a pinch of that can like have full reign access to all this stuff and and then obviously with the community piece of it and all this stuff that they're doing it i mean it it's gonna be crazy but they're also in the beta form right now so it's not even fully set up yet so i i thought they forgot about me i checked with them a couple times like you know what's up uh, and then they were like, oh, we we got you on the list, man. We'll reach out when it's the time. And I'm like, all right, cool. Because, you know, 
they said all are welcome. And I'm just like, I know me and Charles, we're really passionate about recovery and we're really, we support all pathways. And I, you know, if it gets you better, you know, like do more of that. Like, and we, we just try to lift people up and empower people and give them as wide a range, you know, similar to like that sober apps, uh, mission where they're trying to get all the different types of resources out there on the one thing right like we we have a similar mission you know and we've had guests from such a wide array and uh, the other side and you know clinical side and mental health side and the harm reduction side and all these different things like uh i like the judge that gave me a break i actually got to uh, have her on the show once and that was cool stepping in the mind of a judge man and she was so candid yeah it was awesome man that episode if you go in the catalog it's called i believe in you with judge diana street and this is definitely one of my highlights of my podcasting just like i couldn't believe she said yes and then not only did she say yes, but we had such beautiful conversation and she really flattered me. Like, and, and it was really interesting too, just to learn about like, what's it like to be a judge? <laughs> you know? I so yeah. We, to listen to that episode. It's amazing. When you think back to those like pivotal moments and those people that, you know, changed your life, like your life could have gone in, you know, two different directions. And right. I thought it's really um, an inspiring episode to listen to. I was inspired. Oh man, was I inspired? It was funny. I was just like kind of a fanboy. I'm like, I can't believe you said yes. <laughs> it was cool. <laughs> what but are yeah. the what are the tools that have helped you a lot in your sober journey? Like what are your kind of regular rituals or routines? So it's funny because when I first started. I didn't have any, like, I didn't really know what my higher power was, but I knew that uh, they said, you know, not to be scared by the word God, because I was doing the steps out of the AA big book, and it's all over that book, right? So they said, you know, instead of looking at it like God, like the big almighty God, you know, like they were like, just think of it like it's, like a like an abbreviation or whatever for like a group of drunks good orderly direction you know stuff like that so i was like okay and trust the collective wisdom in the rooms you know like uh if i if i'm having a negative thought or i feel like making a a rash decision if i'm mad if i'm sad whatever it is like i need to expose that i need to find people that i trust in the rooms that can help guide me or give me feedback before i do something right and so that worked great for me for a long time and guess what when i followed their their uh suggestions the next thing you know i'm like huh wow that actually like feels good and that worked or you know blown away of course because my best thinking thought that these suggestions sounded absolutely ridiculous <laughs> at the time uh but it it comes to pass where you just kind of 
your thinking changes after a while. You keep doing those next right things, and and it, even though they don't make sense, it's like my sponsor says: you take actions that you don't believe in, and you get results that you can't deny. Right. Mm-hmm. So when that started happening, then it started to change the way that I like perceive events. It started to change the way that I think about or respond to events and how they make me feel like I've learned what's mine and what's not mine. But I would say even from the early stages, gratitude, finding my gratitude has been a huge one because no matter how hard something might be that I'm going through. If I really just take a second to ponder uh, life and like how it's changed, there's a bar none. There's always like a super humongous list of things to be grateful for. And it's kind of hard to be upset when you full of gratitude. And if I really do contemplate on that stuff, it, you know, one thing after another that comes to mind, it built like it swells my heart. You know, it feels wonderful and it's hard not to get kind of like, Oh yeah. All excited and stuff about life. So I don't know. Gratitude's a big one. Uh, I did eventually find God, you know, I came to Christ. You'd asked, uh, to like, uh, things that I do to serve the community. Like I, I, led the baptism team i helped start a faith-based recovery meeting uh and i became a stephen minister which is like a recovery coach with a faith element basically and i i was a certified peer recovery specialist as well but i didn't do it for work so i let it expire after you know that it's been expired for a long time like three years now or something but um, and I, I didn't do all that stuff, to like go out and make a name for myself or like do that professionally because I was a lifetime addict, you know, and I'm approaching middle age. I had a lot of debt, so I need to like make money. Like I can't work for like, you know, minimum or, you know, like very modest wage. I'm, I'm like, I'm a union member and I make good money. So I need to make money so I can work on my debt. But also like, I want to take these classes. I want to do these workshops and I want to learn this stuff. So that's the next one I was going to say is education. Um, For me, I need to keep growing. And I do that by learning first and foremost. And then um, cultivating my relationship with God is the other thing you know i i try to get with god every day in the morning right away i usually on my car ride to work i listen to a daily program which is a bible study program called through the bible it takes you through the entire bible in five years uh every book every chapter and it's also got like a world prayer team so you can pray for people all around the world and it you know, I'm in a Bible study group every week. Uh, I've been in for like four years. So those are the things for me is, you know, putting solid intention into building my faith and, and my relationship with my higher power. 
continued education for myself to help me be better of service to others as well as strengthening my own recovery in the process and remaining grateful are probably the three biggest tools. Thanks for sharing that. And that's a, um, I was thinking as you were sharing about your, uh, your faith, the, um, there's this quote, I can't remember who says it, but it's that addiction is a misguided spiritual search. And I found that that element of spirituality has been crucial in, in my recovery as well. And something that I never would have thought would become such a big aspect of my life. And I think it looks different for everyone, but it's, Mm -hmm. it's some kind of belief in, um, it's like a belief in things bigger than yourself that helps keep you in that state of that state of gratitude and contentment with whatever life is throwing your way. Absolutely. And it says in the big book that what we suffer from is a spiritual malady. Mm. You know, it says that we're seeking exter- we're seeking external solutions to a spiritual problem, you know, mm. no matter what what our behavior is, right? Like any maladaptive behavior, you're just trying to fill a god-sized hole with something else that don't fit that ain't gonna ever fit you you gotta find what fills your spirit what fits you know yeah whatever that looks like for you (laughs) yeah absolutely so i'm wondering i have one last question for you if you have any advice or any wisdom to share with a younger version of you or someone who is just kind of getting into that sobriety journey, what would you, what advice would you give them? Um, I guess what I would, I would say this, that it's okay to not be okay. Mm-hmm. It's just not okay to stay there and don't do it alone. Like reach out for help. You got to remember, closed mouths don't get fed. And unspoken expectations never get met because people don't know what you need. You know, you got to speak up. You got to ask for help and and just let people guide you. Like, actually try, try following somebody who you trust's advice for a change, you know, because you're going to, you might find it works and there's hope. That's the beauty. The most to simplify what I'm trying to say, I'll put it like this. You don't need to know what you're doing. You don't, you just need to find somebody who can help you do it. You know, who's done it before, who can show you what they did. And if that don't work, find somebody else that has overcome and try what they did. You know, like, Eventually, you're going to find what works for you. You know, I, like I mentioned briefly, like I've, I've tried so many things in the time that I've been working on recovery and, and I keep trying them. You know, I passed the point a long time ago where I like completely the obsession is gone. I don't want to get high. I don't want to get drunk. I found purpose in my life a long time ago. I found higher power a long time ago. 
I found love for myself a long time ago. These are all like parts of the process that are going to come, you know? So just keep in mind that even if you find something that works, what worked for you today might not work for you tomorrow and you might want to try something else. Just don't let it get stagnant and don't quit um, because you're right where you're supposed to be right in this moment. And if anybody wants to reach out to me, I always, I will answer every message. I will definitely be more than willing to help you in any way, shape or form that I can uh, by all means, you know, like feel free to reach out. You're not alone. Amazing. Wow. Jason, this has been such an incredibly inspiring interview and I really appreciate your vulnerability and sharing your story and what's worked for you and and what's led you to the place you are now helping others and supporting others. It's just amazing. So I want to thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. I really enjoyed your interview and that's why I was not giving up because I was like, I love that. That that was a great interview. You were awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. I was like, I really want to be on her show. But this (laughs) scheduling sucks because she's like on the other side of the planet. (laughs) I was like, this is hard. (laughs) We tried a number of times, so I'm glad we were able to connect. Finally made it work. And and you were exactly right when you said in the beginning that everything just happens exactly at the timing that it's meant to. And um, I do believe every time I have one of these stories, I, I sit down with someone, I learn something, I have a takeaway, and it might be the message that I meant to hear exactly at that moment. So I think you're absolutely right that things happen when they're Mm. meant to. So can I flip the script on you real quick before you close it out? What's your takeaway? What's my takeaway? You know, my, the real thing that was resonating with me throughout this story was the talk about um, spirituality in recovery and how the role that, faith has played in your life. And I've been reflecting a lot on my spirituality and more my spiritual journey. And I've been struggling a little bit with, actually, it was, it was Charles I had on my show who gave me this metaphor that I use all the time, um, which is addiction whack-a-mole. He said, it's addiction whack-a-mole. And then the funny thing about it is that I've had to explain to people what that is because they don't have whack-a-mole in like the UK. (laughs) So I'm like always telling people about like this whack-a-mole game. But anyway, um, I've been going on this journey lately with myself in that my whack-a-mole turned into like an (laughs) issue with food, um, which I didn't even realize was going on, but an issue with like binging on sugar and junk food. And um, I was like struggling (laughs) with some health issues over the past year. And so it's, I'm now in this phase of my life where I'm about five weeks off of like sugar, caffeine, gluten, like literally everything. So it's like sober journey number two for Alex. But this gives me a reflection on like, okay, what was I not doing? What was I not working that was leading me into this point? And I do believe that I have a spiritual practice, but maybe there's another layer of it that needs to be unveiled or another layer of study. Like you shared, you're listening every morning to the, um, the Bible, the Bible study. And I, and I was thinking maybe I need to find some kind of daily, like listen to the yoga sutras. Cause that's my philosophical text that I'm really into. I'm like, maybe I need to find some kind of practice like that. That's going to really kind of anchor me in my 
spiritual practice. So that was my my big takeaway. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? Remember this. It's a it's always gonna change, you know. This is never gonna stop changing. Mm-hmm. We are always changing as human beings. We're always evolving as people. So, you know, it's important to have that self-awareness where, you know, it's like if I'm curious about something different, then I should like learn about it. Or if I'm feeling like something's stagnant, then I need to get out and help somebody or, you know, just having that self-awareness to know that you got to try something different. You got to shake things up, man. You know, what you... What works for you today might not work for you tomorrow. Absolutely. So I, that's why I like to learn because then I'm like, I feel like I got an arsenal back here with stuff that I can like, we, I can draw from, you know, at any given time. Sweet. It's it's like a feeling of security. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's good stuff. Well, Jason, thank you so much for being on the show. This was amazing. And I'm so glad that I finally got to meet you and connect with you and hear your story. So thank you. Same here. It's been a pleasure. Everybody take care out there. (laughs) Hi friend. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of sober yoga girl podcast. This community wouldn't exist without you here. So thank you. It would be massively helpful if you could subscribe, leave a review and share this podcast so it can reach more people. If we haven't met yet in real life, please come get your one week free trial of the Sober Girls Yoga membership and see what we're all about. Sending you love and light wherever you are in the world.